Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. Hey, can money buy happiness? That's the age-old question. Well, today, my guest, Nicole Lappin, is telling us how she thinks the key to happiness is managing your money. Huh, sounds a little dry, but she's convincing. She's a financial news anchor, best-selling author and businesswoman, and she's opening, very importantly, her heart and her wallet to share with us some good sense. Get it? It's a play on word. Listen in. You're about to learn a lot. I'm pretty excited to speak with you. I I read up on you. Um, You have such a different world experience than I've had coming through. So I'm I'm ready to learn a new perspective. Thank you. I'm going to start out with a story I read in a couple of places that intrigued me. I wanted to hear your view of it or your version of it. I know you were hired as a financial reporter when you were deep in credit card debt. Is that true? It is true. It just seems preposterous. Like you are expert on finance, but I owe a lot of money. What was your thinking quietly at that time? Did you, did you let it stand in your way? Did you find it laughable? What? At the time, I didn't find it laughable. Now I find it laughable and I love telling the story. At the time, I was so embarrassed and I had so much shame and I had so much imposter syndrome, of course. So I started by accident in financial news. I hated business news. I didn't know anything about it. My boyfriend in high school said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. I thought he wanted to be in gardening. Like I was so <laughs> clueless, Barbara. <laughs> it's way off. And my parents were immigrants and we didn't talk about this stuff. I didn't learn about it. And so the thought of finance made me want to break out into hives. And I was offered a job on the floor of the Chicago Merck when I was 18. And I completely lied 100% and said I knew about business news and I didn't. And I figured it out there on the floor when that was still open outcry trading. And I learned in the school of hard knocks that money is a language like anything else. We just don't have a Rosetta Stone for that language. And so once I spoke the language, I never expected I would Speak it to other people or teach other people about it. Writing books about it. But um, why did you even go for that? If if it seemed uh, so different from what you would aspire to, why did you even apply for that job? I didn't. It was a job that I wanted in local news in Milwaukee, actually. I was a student at Northwestern and Mm -hmm. I wanted to be Christiane Amanpour. (laughs) <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, so in awe. I just met Helen Thomas, the amazing reporter in the front row of the White House press corps. And that's what I thought I wanted for my future. And the station chief who I harassed completely. So I didn't know anybody. I just figured out how to march in there. He said, well, you don't get this job in Milwaukee do you know anything about business news? We're starting a network called First Business Network. Wow. Great, great luck. Great timing. It was all timing. Yeah. And it was, you know, very quick lying. (laughs) 
But you know what? It really wasn't just all time. And you were hustling uh, like crazy. You were hustling this particular man. And without winning that respect, he wouldn't have even mentioned that to you. Thank you. So you're in the job and you have to report on finance. How did you prep for that? How did you gain your confidence to pull it out? Even the, you know, even for the first three months, I would have been rattled. I would not have spoken with confidence, I'm sure. But you did from the get-go. I saw some of those earlier interviews. You looked like a veteran. You didn't look like a kid. And you looked like you had confidence. I'm like, I'm sure she knows finance. But you say you didn't. Thank you so much for saying that. I tried to fake it till I made it. And I teased my hair. I wore shoulder pads. <laughs> I put there. maxi mads under my armpits. I was sweating so much, Barbara. Every day I sweat through <laughs> my one blazer that I had that I got from Ann Taylor uh, that I, you know, choice. <laughs> re-sewed all the time. And, you know, I didn't come from money and I didn't think this world was going to be open for me. I wasn't born on second or third base. I was born like in the alleyway by the trash cans yeah. and the least likely person to be doing this. And I just needed a job. You know, there are a lot of entrepreneurial experts who say, go out and do what you love, like FOMO, YOLO, if not now, when? And I say, you know what? There's Yes. And there's no shame in feeding your family. There's no shame in paying the bills. If you need a job, you need a job. And I needed a job. Um, I had a similar experience, a mini experience when I wanted to go from real estate after I sold my business and I wanted to be an expert in real estate. I was instead hired by Fox News as a political commentator. Now, I didn't even know who the president was, but I faked it till I made it. But I was shocked at what I could say knowing nothing about what I was saying and how they invited me back the next week. And I, I actually lost to some degree respect uh, early on uh, for the news cycle because I thought to myself, if they're looking at me for political comment, my God, what does anybody else know? Uh, but did you find that when you were deeply in the trenches, knowing your beat, knowing finance, talking to it knowledgeably, that most people, uh, who were your colleagues also knew that beat or did it well? Or did you feel that there's a lot of, a lot of stuff made up in the news media? I concluded the second. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of truth to the second. And I think a lot of people hide behind jargon mm. and Especially I, business, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And Honestly, when I was even anchoring CNBC and Bloomberg, I would have CEOs of publicly traded companies ask me before we went on, like, what is this QE2 thing you're talking about? And I said, oh, it's a bond buyback program. <laughs> and that, that would convince me. That sounds good. <laughs> you know, and they, they were in a totally different sector and that just wasn't relevant. And that showed me that there are so many areas of business, even when covering financial news, like bond traders don't know what equity traders are doing. It's a whole other language. And mm -hmm. so I think a lot of people hide behind the language, whether they know something or they actually don't. Yes, makes great sense. Um, when you're speaking with your audience, I, I spent some time on your website. I thought you had a gift of writing great uh, captions that lured people in, very clear and concise and catchy. Thank and you. then when I looked at the titles of your books, all three of them, I thought, were fabulous titles. How do you come up with that stuff? I think that's a very hard charge in your line of work to have great titles that come and constantly title the information to, to be user-friendly on your website. 
I was lured into all those articles reading, and I frankly wasn't that interested in, in, in many of those topics, but I got interested. How do you do that? Is that your writing? Do you have help? Do you ask your audience what appeals to them and run with that as a lead? How do you, I'm looking for your secret sauce, actually. I like to mimic it. I have a hard I, time. I mean, I would give you anything I, I possibly have figured out. I actually wanted to be a poet. Uh, I wanted to be a writing major. I started that way. Mm. And, you know, if if I could sit under a tree and write poetry all day long and the bills were magically paid, I probably would have done that. Mm. And so I became a writer, just not the kind I expected. Mm. And, you know, the job that I hated at the time became my dream job and it became my passion, but it was the exact same job. I just reframed it and I found the shaded part of the Venn diagram between the things that I was really passionate about and the things wow. that did not bite the hand that fed me. And yeah. I found that shaded part and that became the sweet spot. So with finance, it's, you know, typically so boring. It is and so boring, but not when I'm on, on your website. So it has a life of its own. Yeah, but thank you. Bring that up yourself, Nicole. What do you get feedback from a lot of people? I had no idea what I was doing when I launched Rich Bitch. I wow. uh, was- What a great title, Rich Bitch. Whoa. Thank you. I wish I had stolen that one. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> um, you know- I made it up when I was being interviewed, asked what I was about to do next. And so then I had to figure out actually how to get it done. Mm. And I wanted to reach a woman who never imagined she picked up a money book, but picked mm. it up because it wasn't intimidating. And I wanted it's to use empowering, the- I might say that title is empowering as well as not intimidating, I think. Go ahead. It absolutely is. You know, I wanted it to take back the word bitch and own it as a badge of honor. I've been called a bitch. I would guess you've been called a bitch in a derogatory way. But what those folks meant when they said that was that we were ambitious, right? Yes. That we were powerful, that we not only wanted a seat at the table, but a voice. And if that meant I'm a bitch, then I'm a bitch and I own it as a badge of honor, along with so many powerful, awesome women like you who have supported the books and, I thought the ends justified the means. I thought going into writing a book called Rich Bitch, people were going to have feelings about it, Barbara. People were going to hate it or love it. There was no gray area. And uh, I am surprised, honestly, that it did the latter. And what that showed me, I didn't know I was sort of disrupting this space at the time by swearing in a finance book. <laughs> like my, my former self who was uh, studying poetry would, would probably just be mortified. But I did what I felt like I wanted when I was learning finance and business news. I felt like I always needed a definition for a definition. And I was pretty smart. I was valedictorian of my high school and college. I took these macroeconomics classes, but the practical stuff we don't learn. I think it's easy to get really sophisticated and learn that really fancy stuff. And so many people have a handle on it. I think the challenge for too many people, and they can accomplish it, is how do you dumb it down or make it in a user-friendly fashion and give it out in a fashion that people feel comfortable that normally would grabbing it for themselves. So you had rich bitch, then you went a step further, and I think your next one was a boss bitch, right? I, I even like that bit of boss bitch. Did you get <laughs> the same reaction, or had you already trained people uh, to expect you to have an extreme title on a book? <laughs> 
You know, it was the time when the subtle art of not giving a fuck was out. There are a lot of, um, you know, swear words and titles. And then after Boss Bitch, I was done with the swear words because I felt like, you know, at, at that time I thought I was going to make the bitch series. And, and then we graduated a little bit from the bitch series of to do Becoming Superwoman and then Miss Independent. But I always address my reader as a noun. And so I, you know, I try to turn that into an empowering sense. And I think ultimately, you know, I wanted more controversy around it. I really wanted more discussion around it. Nobody flinched. Um, there was one interview I did uh, with Mika Brzezinski, actually, and I was on Morning Joe a, a million times when I was in NBC. And she says, I'm not sure about the title. I like the I like the content, but I'm not sure about the title. And I said, wow. you know, I think the ends justify the means. If we can get a young woman to pick up a money book instead of, you know, another Us Weekly or something, by the way, read Us Weekly, but also have a little of The Economist in there, then we win. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think if you get an adverse reaction to something, it's a bad sign. But uh, certainly it's not true of a lot of things. I mean, some of the most outrageous titling that goes on in life usually does the best. So I'm all for you. Um, do you think that men are, uh, do you think that traditional financial advice is usually catered toward men? I'm almost feeling like they picture men in their mind giving it. Do you think that's the case? I know you cater to women, but do you think typically it's catered to a man that's kind of as an assumption that they're Yeah, I think it is. And, you know, as you know, with media, you can't be all things to all people or nothing to anyone. Mm. And so I really wanted to speak to a very specific audience. And that was my former self who had the maxi pads under her armpits, who was smiling and nodding and not joining basic money conversations. And at the time I read a lot of the financial books out there and they were about men and the ones that were geared toward women were sort of like the shrink it and pink it idea. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, to me felt, felt patronizing. And so I think talking about money is awesome. Making money and supporting yourself is awesome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with so many of the events that I would do to promote these books, I would still have women now, 2022, 2020, 2015, say, I went to an Ivy League school, but I just want to marry a rich man. What? Like, what is that? I think there's still this idea that a guy's going to figure it out and take care of it. And there's nothing that a guy knows about this stuff that's magical and that we can't do. Having financial independence, having your own money gives you the power to leave a crappy relationship because you're not concerned that the other person's supporting you. Leave a crappy job that you hate. It, it, I mean, if we reframe this from coming to finances from a place of deprivation, like don't buy a latte, clip the coupons, yeah. you know, it feels so doom and gloom. Instead, if we change our mindsets to a place of aspiration, making more money, then I think your finances will follow. Mm -hmm. Do you really believe that if you think you'll make more money, your finances will follow? I think unlike fitness and dieting, where the think thin to be thing 
idea is out there, that's BS. Go to the gym, don't eat as much, you know, go to a nutritionist. You're thinking yourself is not going to change your body. But I think with finances, the mindset matters a lot more. And the stories we tell ourselves about money and coming to terms with our own financial history. Look, I bailed my mother out of jail using cash. I talk about this story in Miss Independent. My father died of a drug overdose. I used cash in really you know, upsetting ways that I didn't come to terms with and I didn't know affected me in my adult life until I actually confronted it because just because it's been done a certain way doesn't mean it's the way it needs to be. But I think we all need to stop and think for ourselves, how we want our own financial story to be told. Nicole, I'm curious about what you just referenced. and I didn't totally understand. How did you use cash in a detrimental way when you were younger? Yeah. So my, my mother, I didn't even know at the time I was coming home from school and I got a frantic call from the jail, I guess. And I was in middle school and I was told to look under the sink um, behind the maxi pads to find a safe and open the safe and get out little bundles of cash to go to the jail. And, you know, that was my experience with money. Money didn't feel empowering. But to bail your mother out, right? Yeah. But that's pretty damn empowering. Uh, I would think maybe the lesson in that would be, thank God we had the cash and I could solve this problem by bringing it to the jailhouse. No? Yeah. You know, that definitely, um, you know, was part of it. And I also think that, that, you know, the nefarious nature of some of what my family did, I thought that, you know, doing the sins of the father or the sins of the mother would be bestowed on the son or the daughter. You mean the sins of earning it a certain way you learned as a child was not the way to go. That makes great sense. That makes great sense. And I wanted, you know, and I saw everything I didn't want to do and I wanted to do it differently. And I think, you know, if you listen to this and you say, well, my history isn't that heavy. Great. Um, But we all have some sort of macro or microeconomic forces that affect us, whether we live through the financial crisis and we saw our parents' house foreclosed. My my family's house was foreclosed when I was younger. And and that affected me in ways I didn't even know later. And I'd have this hoarding mentality and I'd be, you know, irrationally scared of being broke, alone and homeless. And uh, you know, or you have microeconomic issues if you saw your parents hoarding or if they frivolously spent, you know, that all affects how we deal with our money in, in our adult life. And I think there is a balance between forgiving your former self for what she didn't know and giving your f- future self some tough love and saying, okay, well, now that I know more, I should do better. There's no excuse to bury your head in the sand just because your family didn't talk about it or you didn't learn it in school. I wish it was taught in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, doesn't mean that that gives you a pass to be in debt or to be mm-hmm. broke. Budgeting sucks, but being broke sucks more. Yeah. Um, listening to you so open with those challenges uh, that, that uh, certainly you had to confront at much too young an age, I'm sure. 
Uh, but I'm curious, how do you actually go about taking those old tapes that are running a rut in your brain, playing them again and again, because it's what you've learned, what you've seen, what you know, what you feel comfortable with, and actually changing that? I think that's a big challenge. Does that take a willful personality who's just downright determined, or is it available to everyone? And how do you start that process of change? Not just, and you know, it could go on to so many things, not just finance. I mean, who you think you are and who you want to be. How did you start that process? And how do you know you're making uh, headway? I would think I would have given up, honest to God. I would have been an extension of my mother, without a doubt, listening mm -hmm. to you. But, and I think a lot of people might be thinking that, but listening to you, how do you change that? There might be a golden nugget there that really would empower somebody to believe they could do it too. I hope so. I, I, I think that when it comes to hard conversations, somebody has to go first. And I think one of our last taboos is money. Forget about sex and politics. We'll talk about that. That's, those are not taboo. I think money, maybe mental health and fertility, but that's another discussion, uh, is still the last thing we're uncomfortable talking about. So I decided when I was, you know, going into this, book and then many books it became that i would be so open about the most uncomfortable embarrassing things so hopefully others feel licensed to do the same i talk about the good things too i talk about all my salaries how much i made for the books because i think somebody would probably be curious and if i tell other people to talk about money then i should put my money where my mouth is but i really think that emotional wellness is the biggest asset or liability in your career. That was the basis oh. of my last book, which stemmed from a complete burnout and breakdown and an emergency admittance to the psych ward that made me rethink everything. I was seemingly on top of the world. I had a New York Times bestselling book. I had a show. I had, you know, what people would think would make me happy, but I always self-prescribed not drugs or alcohol but work to hide from this chronically chaotic and abusive upbringing and well, something that's not such a bad one relative to the other choices yeah. <laughs> yeah but ultimately it kicked my butt and i thought okay i'll be happy when i get here and mm -hmm. then i got there and there's always another there there and mm -hmm. i never got my brain to the other side and so i think you know the first step is confronting what those issues are. I had a diagnosis of PTSD and I didn't even know people that didn't go to war could have that. And I loved a diagnosis that felt like catnip <laughs> to a you know, productive person, to a workaholic. I was like, cool, I know now what to confront. And so we all, if you have you know, some other issue that is a problem to you, it is just as important. I think, you know, we have to change from just not drowning to actually swimming. And I think a lot of us are just not drowning. And there's a huge difference there. Big difference. Why do you feel financial independence for a woman is so important? What if though, you want to be a mom, you want to have a bunch of kids, you have a very well-heeled husband, and he's taking care of things. Uh, do you still think it's important for a woman to feel financially independent? Absolutely. And I'm sure you know and you love your partner. I have just seen sometimes, it. I'm sure sometimes, you have. Sometimes not. 
right? <laughs> On a good day, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, I've seen all sorts of issues when I've uh, helped women recover from financial ruin after divorce and, you know, financial infidelity is so rapid. And these are the number one causes of divorce. I always advocate to have your own account and even a secret account. I will say it, you know, it's so important to have your own back and look, you can't budget your way into wealth. You can't save your way into wealth. The only way you can grow wealth is through investing and, and accumulating your own assets. And so while those things are great and even having a great base salary and negotiating that is fantastic, that's not going to create your own long-term wealth. What would your advice be to a woman who's just starting a family? She's given up her career to take a pause, to have her kids. Uh, how do you accomplish that if you don't have a means of income? Do you steal from that guy and tuck it away in your pillowcase? Or what can practically be done for someone like that? I think now there are so many things that you can do you know, virtually um, and in, in ways that I didn't have access to. When I was writing Boss Bitch, I put family planning and financial planning in the same book. And my editor said, that's not been done in a business book. That's like not mm. what you do. And I said, that's exactly why we're putting this together because you have to think of these things together. It's not your work life and personal life siloed. It's your one full life. If you're not happy in that's one it. part, Mm -hmm. You're not happy in general. And also nothing is more time, money, and energy intensive than kids. So if you want 10 kids or 10 cats, I don't care as long as you plan for them. Mm -hmm. And when we reach our stride in our careers, that's when our biological clock starts ticking. And these are natural things that we shouldn't ignore. We should embrace them and plan around them. The way we financially plan for women is different than men. Mm -hmm. And, and that's different. okay. Different in what way? We also live in longer. We need more money. I mean, we could cry about that or we could get to work and put money, our money to work. We work so hard for our money. It's time it returned the favor. I mean, if I knew about the beautiful force that is compound interest earlier, Barbara, nobody's ever said, <laughs> you know what, guys, I'm glad I didn't invest earlier. No one's ever said that in the history of the world. Yes. You're right. I had an experience uh, as a young woman. I had started my firm when I was 23. I was about 27 at the time, living hand to mouth, as you always do in a new business. But I went to a small conference upstate New York, and the first successful businesswoman I ever heard gave a lecture, and I admired her, her independence. And then uh, the one thing she said stayed with me and got my, got my butt going. Uh, she said, I was in a terrible relationship with my husband and I decided to leave him because I could financially do it. Mm -hmm. I was like, whoa, you mean I could dump the wrong guy if I had money? I started switching my priorities. I was thinking I'll get a good guy, make half the money. You know, I'll marry this guy. He'll make math. I'll make half. But all of a sudden I said, I've got to be financially independent so that I can make choices exactly what I want for the rest of my life. That little comment made a sizable difference in my objective in working, I have to say. Now, I don't even know who that lady is. I should look her up sometime and send her a thank you note of some sort, you know? Yeah, but an another experience that I have had a very hard time shaking, unlike you, uh, from childhood, 
uh, was my parents' attitude toward money, which plainly put was money was meant to be spent. Mm. They raised 10 kids and never had enough money. I mean, we weren't poor, but we were hand to mouth for sure. Uh, and uh, no matter what financial problems my mother had, she never worried about money. She thought it was a waste of time. She thought every dollar that came into the house, the purpose was to spend it. And so when I started building my business, what do you think I did? Any nickel I saw coming in five miles away, I had it spent before I hit the door. And I did that for 20 years. And the only time I ever really made money was when I cashed out and sold the business. But uh, I'm asked all the time about uh, financial irresponsibility. And I think that would have been me. And yet somehow it worked. Do you think that kind of devil may care attitude is irresponsible? It does work for some people. And if so, was it just potluck that it worked for me? Or is there some rhyme or reason that you've studied that it actually works for people? So I think there's a moment where you have to ask yourself if it works for you. It's kind of like when I became vegetarian at 12, I asked myself, not completely knowing at the time, self, do I like meat? Um, and the answer was no. But no. even a good steak? I mean, to me, I never liked meat. Even and a so, cheeseburger with bacon and cheddar I know. It doesn't do it for because me. And this was... Back in the day when there was no like soy milk at Starbucks right. and I just had grilled veggie plates. I can't even stomach a grilled zucchini because that's all anyone would feed me at the time. So you saved and, a lot of money. You didn't have to buy that steak. That's right. Already you were smart. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I didn't realize at the time, but I could have said, yes, I like meat. But I think it's that moment, right, where you ask yourself just because it's been done a certain way or just because my family was Jewish, do I want to be Jewish? Uh, because my mother spent every dollar or dime that came in, do I want to spend every dime? Does this work for me? Maybe it does, in which case, great. You know, financial experts will say, don't buy a latte. Is that right for you? I love my latte. I'm not going to cut out my latte. Nuts. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's the, I think it's the most ridiculous financial Actually, advice. Ridiculous, I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. Like a financial diet is like a regular diet. Allow yourself small indulgences. So you don't binge later on. But if somebody says, you know what, I want to cut out the latte and uh, invest in a 401k and buy a house and do all the things I've been told. Fantastic. But I think have that moment and don't just take anything as gospel. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, what do you think your readers will learn from Miss Independent that they haven't learned in your other books? Each one addresses a different set of thoughts and suggestions, but how about Miss Independent? Where you want them to come away learning what? I want them to come away learning to piggyback off your story of listening to the woman that if I look back on my relationships too, and I could imagine I had a trust fund and you know, could do whatever I want. I think my relationships and my choices would have been different. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, money matters and it matters for the choices you make. And so looking at that beautiful force that I talked about that Einstein calls the eighth wonder of the world of compound interest and how that can affect your money is what I really want readers to take from this. I'm most proud of this book because it breaks investing down in really, really complicated concepts down in the way we're talking right now in plain English. And I rewrite financial dictionaries at the back of all of my books. This is why I was so single for so long. Great to have that in the back of each book. It's very clever. Thank you. 
Thank you. You know, and at different points in your financial journey, you'll need different things. But honestly, I don't know why there's so much jargon. Short is not the opposite of tall. It's the opposite of long in finance. It means something's going in the pooper. Why can't we just say that? If somebody you hear saying, oh, they're shorting the housing market or like shorting GameStop, and this is a conversation that's above my pay grade or whatever. And no, no, it just means they think it's going to go down. That's mm -hmm. all. <laughs> and you know what? If you go to Japan and you don't speak Japanese, you're going to be really confused. If you go to Wall Street and you don't speak the language of money, you're going to be really confused until you speak the language. And then you'll say, oh, yeah, duh, that. No, until they sense. read some of your books and everybody gets it. You take the mystifying element out of the whole thing, for sure. Thank you. Well, good luck with your book. I, you don't need the luck. Every book you publish sells well. And I just hope you continue to keep churning out the stuff for the women out there. No doubt about it. Do men read your book, by the way? So all of the information is agnostic, uh, but, you know, I wanted to buy be... it. Do they buy it? Some I... of them do. I love seeing oh. some of the pictures of men on there. If they want to deal with my stories of the maxi pads and the whatever else, my dating stuff, then great. If you can parse through that and get to the advice, it's absolutely uh, for you as well. So, uh, so I was hoping to tie my book tubes uh, after the first book, wanted to take book birth control. I swore every which way to my book agent that we're not doing this again. And yeah, over the pandemic, uh, I signed a seven book deal. So seven book deal. Well, that's an endorsement in your field. My God, talk about a vote of confidence. Ay, ay, ay. Well, thank you. Yes, this is the first of seven. So my fourth, uh, yeah, it will be 10 altogether. Nicole, is that enough for you? Or you're still thinking, okay, what do I do after I finish this act? Are you still thinking? I don't know. Is it enough for you right now? Are you satisfied that you have a seven book deal? Come on, think about that. Do you know a single other person who has, you're not satisfied. You are one greedy bitch. That's what I have. I am a greedy bitch. Yeah, yeah, and I love it. <laughs> okay, well, thanks again. Thanks so much, very much, very, very much for your time. Okay. Thanks, Barbara. And that's all we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. -A -A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.